We're in this series called The Way of Jesus, and the idea is pretty simple. I believe that there is more to being a Christian than simply a moment and a few basic habits. And it sounds kind of obvious to say that out loud, but for many of us, that's what we've boiled it down to. When we think of Christianity, we're picturing the moment that we walk the aisle, the moment that we raise our hand. And then, you know, beyond that, we just got to, we got to show up to church a couple times a month. We got to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And that's kind of the way that it goes forward. In this series, we've been suggesting that following Jesus is more than just simply saying, I'm a Christian. In fact, that word means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. In the beginning, the followers of Jesus simply said, we are followers of the way. We are following the way of Jesus. And I think when we boil it down to a moment and a few habits, that a lot of us, when we struggle, we begin to wonder, is any of this really working? Is it worth it? Is, is what we're being told will happen in our hearts and in our lives, is it really happening? You know, COVID-19 revealed a lot of things, did a lot of things for us. What a, what, a, what a fun world we're living in today on the other side of COVID-19. COVID in that season, one of the things that it did and that it unveiled for us was when all of our Christian traditions were put on pause, taken away from us. Maybe you've been in church all your life and the first time you missed a Sunday was the third Sunday of March, 2020. And when our traditions were removed, we were left asking whether or not any of it has made an actual difference in our lives. Without church, is my life different than it was with church? I remember that season very well. I had, we were four years into planning this church. We planted in 2016. And until 2020, we had been running at a breakneck pace, doing everything we could think of to grow the church, to, to reach people, to let our city know that we were here and that we cared. We were just laser focused on as many different things as we could to grow. We were moving at a rapid pace at all times, never even really stopping to think about what we were doing, whether or not it was working. We just had to move, 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 move to go faster and faster and and faster and faster. And then 2020, March hits, and we decided to take two weeks off to slow the spread from services. And in the beginning, it was a lot of crisis management. It was a lot of, uh, still, a lot of fast-paced work. Okay, if we can't meet on Sundays, what's our alternative plan? How are we gonna present a service online? How are we gonna make it engaging? And then there's the crisis management of the people that we care for as a church. All the different things that are happening in their lives and how do we show up for them? How do we care for them? How do we take care of it? And there was a lot going on there in the beginning, but after a month or two, to slow the spread, we were still paused and we had developed a rhythm in the crisis. And it turned out that our rhythm was a good bit slower than our rhythm before. 
Matt Dunn would show up at my house faithfully every uh, Wednesday to record a message in my backyard. You guys, maybe if you were around in that time, you remember the broken tree that I stood in front of every day and uh, every week as we recorded the message. We were answering calls and, and meeting with people over Zoom as often as we could to care for people. We were showing up when people would, when that was appropriate. And it was, it was, it was a tightrope walk, but it was a slower season. And I remember that there was like a Wednesday at three o'clock where I had really just done everything that I could do in that moment. And I just sat down in a chair in my backyard and watched my kids fight and just the serenity of home, you know. And I remember it just kind of occurring to me as I sat there. Is any of this working? Is it making a difference? Is it worth fighting for? I began to tinker with the idea of church. I began to evaluate and explore what we had been doing so far, asking these questions that all of us were asking. I'm asking it as a pastor, but many of us, many of you, were asking the questions when church comes back. Is it worth it? Has it made a change? Has it, has it made an impact? One thing that I kept asking was, is the whole thing really working? How much long-term fruit is our model of church producing? I knew there was some. I could rattle off some incredible stories of marriages being healed, addictions being broken, people's lives beginning to change. But what was revealed in that season was that the majority of people coming to our church were attending, viewing, spectating. Whether or not they were really being transformed into followers of Jesus was anybody's guess. I didn't know how to measure it. And the truth is that in that season, I was pretty discouraged about it. Something had to change. The next summer, I went on a sabbatical for a month to a remote cabin in Maine. I chose Maine because it was very different than anywhere I was used to going. I like to be either here in Charleston, my hometown, or in Florida, where there's water and fish and boats. That's what I like. In Maine, they do have boats and fish, but it's a different vibe. Okay? They got beaches, but there's no sand. It's rocks. If you're like me and you've never been and you go, you'll be shocked at this. The smell of the beach is something that stays with you for a while. Rotting seaweed and kelp. Where I like to go in the summer is like a high of 102 with 99% humidity. Maine, you'd be doing good to hit 65 on a July day and it's raining right now, guaranteed. We removed ourselves from everything that we were familiar with. And we went to this, it is a beautiful place. And we were in this cabin in the woods and Rayelle and I would sit up every night after we would put the kids to bed and we would read books by Eugene Peterson, Dallas Willard, Richard Foster, John Mark Comer, these philosophers of faith. We would talk about the church. We would share stories of life change and we would ask the question, is it been working? Are people becoming more like Jesus or are we simply putting on another show for them to see on a Sunday morning? Something that they could easily replace by watching YouTube. Out of that season came some big changes for us 
as a church. Practicing the way and pursuing deeper spiritual formation as a church became a focus for us. We as a church, when we came here, we were pretty fixated on reaching people who didn't know Jesus. In fact, the church has to be fixated on that because outside of these doors are people who are desperate to know the life-changing message of Jesus, who need to experience it, who are hopeless and lost without it. And our role as the church is to bring that gospel message to them, to bring them to spaces where they can see it and receive it. And in the beginning, in those first four years, this was the only thing I thought about. I was obsessed with the idea of helping people experience what I have experienced in a relationship with Jesus. But what I did not spend a lot of time thinking about is what would happen next. Or what would happen for all of the people who already know Jesus and came into our walls. I knew it was important to get them activated in bringing that message to their family, their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers. But how were we helping them grow in their understanding of that message? And I didn't have a lot of good answers. So we came back and we got to work on it. We built spiritual formation practices. We changed the way that we teach here. If you go back and watch some messages from 2018 and 2019 and compare them to now, we are shifting what we're telling and what we're teaching. We will never shy away from the gospel, but we also want to build you up to know who he is more. There's been a lot of changes because now more than ever, we as a church are working hard to answer the question, how do you become like Jesus? Because maybe like I did, you've wondered, is it even possible to actually become like Jesus? Is, is there more to all of this? Can I really see my life and my heart begin to change and shift to be more like Jesus and therefore more like the me I was made to be? Can I have the kind of satisfaction, the kind of peace that I so desire and long for? Can I, can I experience real joy in this life? Is there more for me or is this all there is? If I figure out how to become like Jesus, is it finally gonna make me feel whole? I believe that the answer to these questions is absolutely yes. But I've also come to learn that it's not anything that's going to change for you over the course of a three-point sermon. Now look, I love a three-point sermon. I believe that a sermon can contain all the gifts of the Holy Spirit within three points. That the mysteries of the universe can be unraveled by point three. This I believe. But what these three-point sermons serve as, more than anything, are mileposts along a journey to becoming like Jesus. You can become like Jesus, but in order to do it, you have to be committed to being formed in the right direction for the rest of your life. All of us, each and every day, we're all being formed. We are being formed into a future version of ourselves. You are being shaped every day when you wake up until you go to bed at night. You're being formed into the you that you're going to be on down the road. The relationships we keep, the habits we form, the stories we believe, they're all shaping us little by little, day by day, into a future version of ourselves. There was this king in the Old Testament called Solomon. Solomon. Maybe you know his story. 
Solomon was the son of King David, and David is widely considered to be the greatest king Israel ever had. He was the second king of Israel. He drove back all of Israel's enemies. He was a brave warrior. He honored and served God. He was fearless, and he also had a sensitive side. He wrote a lot of poetry and wrote most of the Psalms that you can read in the Bible. And David made a big mistake during his reign, but he's one of the few kings of Israel to make a huge mistake repent of it and finish well. When his son Solomon was starting his reign as successor and king, God appeared to him in a dream. He told Solomon to ask whatever he wanted and it would be granted. Now I feel that if God were to appear to me in a dream and ask this, I would really blow it. But Solomon does not. Solomon asks for wisdom. And God is so impressed that Solomon has asked for wisdom and not for to rule the world or to have all the riches in the world or, or to have a boat and a Yeti 110 iced down with some silver bullets. God is so amazed at this request, this humble request for wisdom that he says, I'll not only make you the wisest man that ever lived, I'm going to make you the richest man that ever lived. You're going to have the greatest kingdom that Israel's ever had or will have because of this humble request. His character started going in the right direction. Solomon began from a place of humility, a place of acknowledgement of his need for what God could give him. But it didn't go that way for long. Because as Solomon's life goes on, his habits, the stories that he believes, and the relationships that he keeps form him into somebody that he didn't want to be. It says in 1 Kings chapter 11, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. And they were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love, a romantic at heart. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. I got questions about that. I got, I'm curious about the logistics. How does this work out? What does date night look like? You know, what's, who, how do you remember the anniversaries? You know, what about the birthdays? We're talking about a thousand people. Anyways, 700 wives, 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Molech was one of the gods that people would make child sacrifices to. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David, his father, had done. I think it's interesting to note that Solomon begins our story with humility and headed in the right direction. He ends our story doing evil in the, the eyes of the Lord, becoming someone he never wanted himself to become. And it didn't happen in one day or overnight. In this passage in 1 Kings, it's, it's important that you see it says, when Solomon grew old, his wives had turned his heart towards other gods. 
It was a transformation over the course of his life. He was being formed every day in a direction he didn't want to go. We can see the results of this in his writing in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom he wrote later in life. And this is the state of his heart and mind when he's writing Ecclesiastes. It says in Ecclesiastes 2, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied my eye, myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. It doesn't happen all at once. Little by little, it happens over time. And so the question is, who are you becoming? What direction are you being formed in? When you're looking back, are you going to be pleased with the life that you've lived and the person you've become or like Solomon, where you look at it and say, everything is meaningless. Nothing was gained under the sun. Are you ready to take control of all of that and stop becoming someone you don't want to be and start becoming more like Jesus? Because that is the other option. Instead of letting your life pass you by to a place of meaningless mediocrity, the way that Solomon did, you can choose to follow Jesus and not just to listen to someone talk about him, to hear about him from time to time, but to really follow him, to practice the way of Jesus. And in doing so, become exactly who you were made to be and find real satisfaction and joy and peace. If you're ready to commit to the slow work of real spiritual formation, then the process is fairly simple but not necessarily easy. The first thing, and this is crucial, is what we talked about last week. Be with Jesus. If you want to become with Jesus, be with Jesus. If you didn't hear that message, I'd encourage you to go on our app and listen to it or go watch it on YouTube or whatever way that you can find it and learn how to be with Jesus with daily prayer, scripture study, worship, and a weekly Sabbath. Over time, those things will begin to form you more and more to become like Jesus. And then I want to add two practices to that, and then one important ingredient in becoming like Jesus. What we decided 
in that season of prayer, as we reevaluated everything that we were doing, was that it is possible to become like Jesus, but that it does not ever happen the way that we want it to, which is overnight, instantaneous, and something we could put in a 20 second video. It happens over the course of a life lived in pursuit of Him. And so, if you want to get in that pathway today and begin moving in that direction, Here's a couple things you can add to last week's message to get there. Number one is community. The relationships you keep. The people around you are forming you into who you're going to be in the future. A wise man once said that you are the sum of your five closest friends. I believe that real community has the power to help you become who you want to be. And it also has the power to do the opposite. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, make no mistake about it, bad company corrupts good character. But the Bible speaks many times to the power of a church and a community within the church to help us become more and more like Jesus. Proverbs 27.17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. The whole story of the Bible shows us how relationships shape us, help us, and transform us into the people that we want to be. As followers of the way of Jesus, we were made to work together in becoming like Jesus. It's not supposed to be something I have to toil through on my own. It is a project I do alongside others that are going to get me there together. More than once, Paul refers to us as a body, the body of Christ, each complementing and helping one another. In 1 Corinthians 12, 23, it says, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Again, in Ephesians 4, he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love love as each part does its work. Like a body working together, we work together as a community to become more like Jesus and do what Jesus did. It is a group effort and having the right people around you gets you there faster. So here's a primer. We did a message on community just a couple, few weeks back. And so you can go back and get a longer exposition on how to build community there, but I'll give you a primer on where to begin in commuting, uh, on where to begin in building community today. When you go out into the lobby after service today, ask somebody their name. Hi, my name is, and then you tell them your name, and then, you, and then they'll tell you theirs, and you listen when they tell you their name so that you can remember it later. And may, maybe you got to start a conversation with them. You need a conversation. Go to the coffee table, grab a cup of coffee, and accidentally spill it on them. And now you have to talk to them for a few minutes, you know, while you help them clean it up and such. Whether you're going to do it real smooth or, or it's going to be an awkward interaction, just make a commitment to start to... Have a conversation with somebody you don't know to get to know them, to build them. Uh, Do it at an event like First Wednesday or at a picnic or pops in the lot. Just meet some people. That's step one. Then join a small group or lead a small group. 
make a commitment to really go to small group. A lot of times we sign up for small group and the commitment in our heart kind of looks like, look, I know that I should do this because I want friends and I've been telling everybody I need to make friends in this church, but uh, I'm going to go when I can go. You know, I mean, some days the vibe's not right. You know, some days I get a coupon in my email from DoorDash and that's God's way of telling me to stay home tonight. Some days there's a premiere on television that I can't miss or a sporting event or sometimes I get home and I'm tired, too tired to people. I am done. I've talked to people all day today and I didn't want to talk to any of them. I don't want to go talk to more people that I may or may not want to talk to. I'm telling you right now that if you really want to get the benefits of joining a small group, commit to joining your small group. You go. On days you don't feel like going, you go anyways. On days where it's hard, you go anyways. On days where you have to rearrange your life a little bit, you rearrange your life a little bit and you go. You make a small group and the relationships therein a priority because you acknowledge that you need the kind of community that you've been telling people that you need. Building community, like becoming like Jesus, is slow work. And it only takes if you really commit to it. So go to small group and learn somebody's story. Get vulnerable and give people the space to be vulnerable. Don't be the person who never talks in small group. You can't make friends that way. Somebody didn't like it when I said that just now. But you can't always wait for them to talk to you. Sometimes you're gonna have to talk to them. And don't be the person who is the only one who talks in small group. You may not know who you are, but we all do. <laughs> when somebody tells you, receive it, grow from it. You can only build relationships by talking and listening, listening and talking, real conversation, vulnerable spaces compounded over time. And then at your small group, once you're starting to connect with somebody, you're going to go up to them and you're going to say, let me get them digits in your head. And what you're going to say out loud is, man, I'd love to connect sometime. Can I have your phone number? And, but you should know that anytime I've ever said that to you in my head, that's what I was saying. Let me get them digits. Go to lunch after church. Go, go out after small group. Go get dinner before small group. Whatever your rhythm is, start to build deeper relationships. What happens is over time, you'll begin to do life together. And one day you'll look at your community and see the fruits of what you've built. And if you're together doing the work of being with Jesus and working to become like Jesus, you're going to get there a lot sooner by doing it alongside the right people. So the first thing is build community, build community, the right people, the right community to get you going in the right direction. The second thing, and this is crucial in becoming like Jesus is serving, serving. This is a cheat code also to building community. Serve alongside one another. Join the dream team and work alongside somebody and you'll find community. The people who experience real community at the gathering 
serve together on the dream team. Whenever I get around people at our church that I know are really, they're in it. They're going to, they're together. They're going through life together. I see them not just when I'm, when I'm talking to them in the lobby, but I know that they've been serving the church that day. I know that they've been at the events that we're doing. I know that they are getting together outside of all of that. I know that they're in small groups together. I know that they're doing all of these things together that is building the relationship that they need. It takes more than just one thing. Serve the community is a big part of it. And it's a key piece to becoming like Jesus because you were made to serve just as Jesus was made to serve. Mark 10, 45, he says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is one of the things that Jesus was constantly ingraining in and teaching his disciples, helping them understand that to follow him and practice the way of Jesus is to serve the people around us. He was trying to help them understand that in order to become like him, their lives would never be about fighting for power and position, but that they would always be about serving. One time they were walking down the road and some of his disciples were arguing essentially over who was going to be more important in the physical kingdom of Jesus. They were picturing castles still. They were on their way to build Camelot and wondering who's going to be Lancelot. And Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. He stops him, says, Jesus called them together and says, you know how the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. It isn't going to be that way in this kingdom. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. We become like Jesus by being in a community that is following him together and by serving people. That's what his disciples were doing from the beginning. They were serving people. And the more they served people, the more they become like Jesus. It's the same with us. We have to serve people. I think you should start with the dream team. I believe that the local church is the continuation of the work that Jesus began. He set the whole thing up and he put us together to serve people through it. I would challenge you that being a follower of Jesus and practicing the way of the Jesus requires this of you, that we don't just show up somewhere to be served, but that we are here to serve, to serve the people of God, to serve the people who don't yet know God, to serve the bride of Christ through the church. First Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. You have gifts in you that perfectly complement somebody sitting near you. And together, this is what all of the teaching on the body of Christ that Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 12, this is what he's saying, is that you were made to operate in community together like a body, supporting one another, caring for one another, and you're all gifted differently, and your gifts come together to form the body of Christ, which is the bride of Christ, which is the church. We are called and created and gifted to serve the church. And as we begin to serve the church, we begin to become like Jesus by doing what Jesus does. 
We want to help you discover your place in all that here at the gathering. Step one and first serve Sunday is a great place to start. And then jump on a dream team and just start serving the church. But don't stop with serving the church. It doesn't just end and begin on Sundays. None of this does. We continue to serve. We, we find other places and ways to serve. Serve the, at the Dream Center. Go and serve the homeless in our community. Go and serve your family. Serve your coworkers. Serve your friends. We begin to serve as a way of life as we become more and more and more like Jesus. And finally, all of this only works in making you more like Jesus if you do it over time and if you do it with consistency. The third thing is consistency. So there I was in a cabin in beautiful rural Maine, wondering if becoming like Jesus was something that we could really lead people to experience, if it was attainable. What I came to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt is that it is attainable. It's something that we, the church, not only can do, but we are perfectly positioned to do. But it's going to push against what you've been led to desire living in this culture that we're in right now. It's going to be difficult. The pastor and writer Eugene Peterson compared this to the difference between a tourist and a disciple and pilgrim. Here's an excerpt from his book, one of my favorites, which is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. For some, it's a weekly jaunt to church. For others, occasional visits to special services. Some, with a bent for religious entertainment and sacred diversion, plan their lives around special events like retreats, rallies, and conferences. We get to see a, a new personality. We go to hear a new truth to get a new experience. And so, somehow, expand our otherwise humdrum lives. The religious life is defined as the latest and the newest zen, faith healing, human potential, parapsychology, successful living, choreography in the chancel, Armageddon. We'll try anything until something else comes along. For recognizing and resisting this stream of the world's ways, there are two biblical designations for people of faith that are extremely useful. Disciple and pilgrim. Disciple says, we are people who spend our lives apprenticed to our master, Jesus Christ. We are in a growing learning relationship always. A disciple is a learner, but not in the academic setting of a schoolroom, rather at the work site of a craftsman. We do not acquire information about God, but skills in faith. Pilgrim tells us that we are people who spend our lives going someplace going to God, whose path for getting there is the way, Jesus Christ. We realize that this world is not my home and set out for the Father's house. Abraham, who went out as our archetype. Jesus answering Thomas's question. Master, we have no idea where you're going. How do you expect us to know the road? Gives us directions. I am the road, 
also the truth, also the life. No one goes to the Father apart from me. The letter to the Hebrews defines our program. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we are in. We keep our eyes on Jesus, following him day by day, doing the things that he did, following him, being with him, being around the people that are following him, serving the way that he served. We keep moving in that direction day by day, little by little. And it might be an uphill journey, but it is a journey that we do not quit in. We don't slow down in. We don't stop in. We keep going. First Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 58 says, therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be with Jesus. Stay in good community. Serve the way that Jesus serves. Serve his bride. And over time, you'll see a change. I've got some friends and they are gym people. They love the gym. They're obsessed with the gym. They wouldn't miss the gym. My buddy has been to the gym with a stomach flu before. Just awful and disgusting, but still lifting weights. And they go five, six days a week. Wouldn't miss. And sometimes we'll sit around and we'll, we'll laugh. We'll look at pictures of my buddy a few years ago. Just this scrawny little fella. Cute as a button. And then compare it to today. This big, beefy muscle machine. And we laugh at the transformation and the change because look at you then and look at you now. Goodness gracious. And what's interesting is if I look at a picture of him from yesterday and compare it to today, I'm looking at the same guy. I don't see a change. I don't see a difference. If I'm going to mark the change, I can't measure it in days. I have to measure it in years. You can become like Jesus you can be like him. You can experience the life he's designed you to live. You can have the peace that he has written for you. You can have the joy that he's got prescribed for you. You can feel whole and full and you can start making decisions the way he would want you to make them without it being so hard and difficult every single waking hour of every day. But you're not going to just look back at yesterday and see that you've gotten there. This will be measured not in days, but rather in years, but it's a journey that's worth it. In fact, it is the only journey that is worth it. You can be who you were made to be, but you have to be willing to be consistent over time and you'll get where you need to go. If you're in here today and you're ready to begin that journey, to start going to have your moment with him where he looks at you and says, follow me, and you drop the nets and get out of the boat and start on the road. Then every head bowed, every eye closed. It just begins with a prayer right now. Just pray this with me. <sighs> Heavenly Father, I need you. I've been trying it on my own and it's not working. I want to do it your way. I don't care how long it takes. I want to follow you. 
So forgive me for my sins. I acknowledge that you are my King, my Lord, my Savior, and all that I am from this day on. I am yours. I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.